morning. Welcome to St. James. Uh, glad you guys are here. Uh, welcome to the people who are on the live stream as well. We're glad that you're watching too. Um, run through some announcements real quick, and then uh, Stacy is going to come and give us a mercy ministry announcement here in a minute. Uh, everything is on schedule for this week. Uh, men's Bible study is not, though. That's in the schedule, but we finished up this past week. Um, while we're working on what to do next, uh, give us some time, and then we'll let you know. Everything else, though, is on youth group, um, uh, ladies' Bible study. Screw tape letters. If you're interested in the screw tape letters, uh, you can meet with us at 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening. If you're not interested in the screw tape letters, you don't have to meet with us, but you should be interested in the screw tape letters because they're good. Youth confirmation today from uh, 12.15 to 1, and then new members class tonight from 6.30 to 8. Anybody who wants to come, more than welcome. We had a good group last time. If you want to participate in that, please uh, show up at 6.30. We, uh, uh, we'll have a good time. A couple, more, uh, a couple things to point out to you. Um, you can read the back, but new worship times. So starting next week, uh, if I can, for those of you who were here last week, I've already made this announcement, but the first service at 8 o'clock is more lightly attended than this one is, and so communion goes a lot faster, and we had like a half-hour gap between church and Bible study. So we're going to move Bible study up from 9.30 to 9.15. That'll go from 9.15 to 10.15. And then second service will start at 10.30 next week. So we're starting at 10.45 today. But next week, it'll be 15 minutes earlier. It'll be at 10.30. So uh, it's 10.30. It's 10.30. Yeah, I probably put the wrong information in the bulletin. But it's actually 10.30. So don't get here at 10.45. Oh, you can get here at 10.15. That's a safe time to do it. But we'll actually start at 10.30. Um, CCLS uh, is starting a school here. Uh, it's not St. James School, it's CCLS's school. They're going to have an open house here next Saturday from 1 to 3. Um, please come, come and hang out. I mean, if, even if you don't have kids, but you just kind of want to see what they're up to and what their philosophy is, that's going to happen next Saturday. Um, also, next Sunday, uh, we're going to be taking up a free will offering to provide the faculty at Metro East Lutheran High School with uh, a time to get together and do team building. Uh, some of the faculty brought it to our attention that last year that was really lacking because of COVID and just not being able to connect. And so to help them kind of get back into that, we're going to take up an offering. And however much we take up, like that's what we're going to give them. And so if we don't get hardly anything, we'll, you know, I don't know, buy them some packages of crackers and give them a picnic. If we get a lot, we can do something uh, bigger, like we could, you know, uh, whatever, I don't know. Uh, I'm not the idea person here. Uh, but we can uh, maybe do something fancier, maybe something like uh, renting out part of Edison's for them and their families to spend time together and uh, build those relationships. But that will be a free will door offering at the end of the service next Sunday, okay? I think it feels like there's one more thing I need to say, but I can't remember what it is. Um, Stacy, do you want to come and talk about Mercy Ministry? Okay, I have my phone with me for my notes. Um, for those of you who know Miss Shanna, she leads our mercy ministries here at the church, and she has an announcement this morning I'm going to give for you. We are doing a school supply donation drive here through August 10th, and we're partnering with the Fairmont City Christian Activity Center to gather school supplies for school-aged children. 
So the kind of things they need, they have lots of notebooks, but they need backpacks, scissors, glue, pencils, pens, folders, all those typical things that you would expect for school-age children. They're in the Collinsville School District, so that can kind of help guide you on the different things that are needed, and we're thinking for that younger grade school age. So anything that you have, bring here. She'll have some collection bins in the narthex. If you're coming to youth group on Tuesday nights, or if you want to drop it off on a Tuesday night when we're here, you can do that too. Thank you. Thank you, Stacey. Uh, stand with me, and then we'll pray, and we will continue in worship. Let's start by praying. God, we need you. There's so many things. There's so many things in our life that we do need, God. But we uh, we need you. We need the bread of life. We need you to come and meet with us this morning, and to give yourself to us, and to transform us, and to shape us into being faithful image bearers of you. This is not a work that we can do on our own, Father. We need you to perform this by your grace. And so as we read your word here for the next few minutes and as we sing your praises and as we think about John chapter 6 and as we receive your gifts at the rail, like God, be shaping us and transforming us. Holy Spirit, come down and empower us for your mission. Turn our lives into the kind of lives you want them to be. And may we be people who bring honor and glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God. O Lord, merciful Father, You keep covenant and steadfast love with those who love You and keep Your commandments. We confess that we have not listened to Your servants, the prophets. We have not heeded Your law nor have we rejoiced in Your Gospel. We confess that things have fallen apart. But Lord, You keep covenant even when we do not. Your love is steadfast when ours is frail and fallible. You are faithful even when we are faithless. We want You to be our God and we want to be Your covenant people. Grant us the gift of faith. By Your Holy Spirit, Work in us steadfastness and singleness of heart that we might manifest Your love in the keeping of Your commandments and the living of Your Gospel. O Lord, merciful Father, hear our prayers in the name of Your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, the Mediator of the new and eternal covenant, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from 1 John. This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn. Oh, 
to the Old Testament reading that we'll read in a second and the Gospel reading. With upright heart He shepherded them and guided them with His skillful hand. He commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. And He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading is from Exodus 16. It's the story of God, uh, God dealing with the people of Israel who are in the wilderness and want and demand food out of God, even though He's consistently provided for them all along the way. Uh, from Exodus 16. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my will or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he's heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? for they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is from Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing on uh, through the book of Ephesians, through the letter of Ephesians. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying, that's a quote from the Psalms. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. Okay, those two verses are kind of confusing. Can I explain them real quick? The one who descended is the Son of God, become flesh, who came down from heaven to live and to dwell with us. He also ascended back up after His resurrection to the right hand of the Father. Now what does that mean? Last line of verse 10. He now fills all things. The ascension of Jesus is not him disappearing and now he's gone and we're kind of waiting for him to come back. Jesus' ascension means that he now fills all things. He is the Lord of the universe and now is everywhere ruling and reigning. And so he has the power to, in each one of the manifestations of his body, like St. James Lutheran Church, to give his gifts in that moment and in that presence. And he gave the apostles, here's some gifts, verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Uh, this follows after, I know we're in John now instead of Mark, more on that in a second. This follows after the two readings we've done the past two weeks, the feeding of the 5,000, then Jesus walking on the water. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. <clears throat> Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? He had just said in verse 21, don't work the food for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures. So they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Do you guys mind if I start off? I'm gonna, um, so I've already preached this sermon once, and it seemed to me as I was preaching that it was very confusing what I was saying. Oh, it's just, that's on me, right? But do you mind if I take a second here and pray that God would make this uh, clear to me and to you, and that I wouldn't obfuscate his word, but that his gospel would uh, be sounded forth clearly? Give me a second and let me pray. God, uh, be with us uh, for the next few minutes here. Be with me as I read your word out loud and as I uh, talk about um, what Jesus is doing here. And Father, be with all of us that what Jesus is saying here would be clear in our minds and that what he wants from us would be clear in our minds and that his hope and the way he wants to serve us with his own self would be clear in our hearts and minds and that uh, whatever I do to make that unclear, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be working against me to make it clear, and that we would really understand your word and come to know you better through your son Jesus this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you. Give me a second here to do a little bit of introduction. So um, we, this summer, we're, in, we're, we're using the, the common lectionary that the churches. A lot of the churches use it. The Catholic Church uses it. I think the Methodist churches use it. We're all reading the same scriptures together. Churches all over the world are using this lectionary. And you guys have noticed, those of you who've been here, that we've been hacking our way through the Gospel of Mark and talking about Jesus' mission in the Gospel of Mark. Well, then we get to this really important text from three weeks ago that Pastor Lang talked about of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then we have Jesus walking on the water last week. But really, that story is about the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that they didn't get Jesus walking on the water because 
They didn't understand, Mark says, the loaves because their hearts were hardened. So that story is really about the feeding of the 5,000 too. What's interesting is in this year of the lectionary, when you get to that spot in Mark about the feeding miracle, you step back for three weeks away from Mark and go to John chapter 6. We're going to spend three weeks now in John 6 where Jesus has this really interesting conversation after this about what does that all mean about the bread and, and what does Jesus have to do with it? What's the point he wants them to know? And so Jesus is going to talk for, for the next three weeks in John 6 about what we just read in Mark. And then we're going to go back to Mark after that. Why does the lectionary do that? Uh, I'm not entirely sure, except for in Mark, there's no sort of discussion after the miracles. You know, Jesus uh, walks on water, calms the storm, they get to the other side, and then it just moves on to the next story. And here, there's a little bit of space here to talk about what does that all mean? Let's hear it from Jesus' mouth. So that's what we're going to do for the next three weeks. We're going to work our way through John 6. And there's basically going to be three big questions that I want us to think about. And not all of them at once. It's going to be spaced out a little bit. But one is, what is the feeding miracle? Tell us about Jesus and who he is. That's That's one of the questions. Second of all, how can the power of the feeding miracle be experienced by us now here in Glen Carver? We'll kind of talk about that next week. And then third, and last but not least, what does any of this have to do with Holy Communion? Does the feeding miracle, does the feeding of the 5,000 have anything to do with communion? This is kind of a specifically Lutheran sort of thing that you would want to talk about. And the answer is, I debated whether or not to say what I'm going to say for the next two minutes, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it as sort of introduction to that last topic of conversation. Let me just say that this is not about communion but communion is about this. And if that's confusing, I'll try to make it make more sense in three weeks. Jesus is not teaching us about what Holy Communion means in John 6, but when we, when we start reflecting on what Holy Communion is, John 6 is going to make a whole lot more sense, okay? There's definitely some good overlap. Now, do Mark and John want us to think about Holy Communion when we think about the feeding of the 5,000? That's kind of a preliminary question. Again, give me one more minute, and then we're gonna, that's, this, is all, this is all introduction to what we're going to do three weeks from now. And the answer is yes. When Mark tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000, he's not talking about communion, but he wants you to think about communion. How do you know? Interesting feature, like I, I hope that maybe a lot of us noticed this when we read that. You read these, for those of you who are in church a lot, grew up in church, you read these stories so often, it's easy just to kind of, you know, uh, bleep your way through them. Uh, like you're reading the names in a Russian novel and just kind of get through it and be like, okay, yeah, I know that story. But interesting thing. Remember in, in, in Mark, when we read in Mark, which Pastor Lane did, Jesus, he's got all the people spread out on the hillside and they're all starving, hungry, right? And then they find the, the, find, they find the loaves and the fishes and Jesus starts breaking it off. Do you remember what it says about Jesus? It, Mark uses four verbs to describe what Jesus is doing there. It says he takes the bread He blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and then he gives the bread to his disciples so that they can feed the crowd. Those four four verbs. When you get to the story later on, when you get to the story of the Last Supper, Mark uses the exact same four verbs to describe what Jesus does at the Last Supper. He takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he gives the bread to his disciples. Is Mark in just some sort of rut where he likes those four verbs? No. Mark wants you, upon the second reading, to realize when you go back and you reread the story of the the miracle of the 5,000 being fed, 
he wants you to hear Holy Communion overtones. All right? Again, that's introduction. More on that later. I'm not even going to unpack that today. That'll be three weeks. How does John do it? Because John doesn't do the verb thing. John does it in a different way. So this whole, everything we do in the next three weeks is about the feeding of the 5,000. Here's how John does it. Look at verse 23. So all the, the people are looking for Jesus in verse 22. They know that he didn't get into that boat with his disciples. They don't know where he went. You remember from Mark, Jesus goes up into the mountain to pray. He sends his disciples back across over to Capernaum. The people see the disciples get in the boat. They know that Jesus isn't in there. They're looking around. They can't find him. And so they're like, what, what's going on here? They find some boats from Tiberias, and they're like, hey, can you drive us to Capernaum? And they get over to go into Capernaum. And the way John describes it in verse 23 is this. This is a real interesting phrase. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread, it's in the miracle, after the Lord had given thanks. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it, don't you think? It's the place where they ate the bread. We already know what he's talking about. The miracle of the 5,000, just a couple of verses before in John and in Mark both. The place where they ate the bread after Jesus had given thanks. It's kind of a weird line, you know? But you know why it's in there? Let me tell you why it's in there. Because actually, the Greek word for giving thanks is the word Eucharist, which going back time out of mind, the Christian church, as early as the first century, was using as not code, but as another name for Holy Communion. I don't usually call it Eucharist. I usually call it Lord's Supper or Communion or something like that. But it's a perfectly legitimate name for Holy Communion because it means giving thanks. And in all the stories when Jesus serves the Last Supper, he's always giving thanks. And so the giving thanks or the Eucharist became a name for Holy Communion. And when John says this here in verse 23, he says, it's the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given Eucharist. He wants you to thank what we're talking about here on some level is Holy Communion. Okay, this is really bad teaching and pastoring, but what I just said has nothing hardly to do with what the sermon is gonna be next. I apologize, but it's all introduction that I wanted to get into so that you, as we talk the next three weeks, we're not only thinking about Jesus and bread and the works of God and what that means for us, but I also want us to start hearing overtones of communion. So three weeks from now, when Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh, you can't have any part of me, and the people are like, you're talking about cannibalism, I'm out. We'll kind of know where he's going with that, okay? But that's in three weeks. All right, now let's talk about actually the story that we do have to talk about today. And there's three questions that I want to ask. They're all super simple questions, even though, like I said, first service, I managed to botch this up and make it really unclear. But basically, three simple questions. Why do the people follow Jesus? They, they followed him across the lake. Why do they follow Jesus? That's the first question. Why should they have followed Jesus? That's a separate question. And then, how can we follow Jesus? Based on what Jesus says here. So why did the people follow Jesus across the lake? Why should they have followed Jesus? And then finally, how can we follow Jesus? Let me try and do this as quickly as possible. So the question, why did they follow Jesus, has a really, really simple answer. Jesus tells us in verse 26, they say, to Je- they say to Jesus in verse 25, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answers them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You followed me here not because you saw a sign, but because you got a free meal. You got free bread. Right? Now, what's wrong with free food? Absolutely nothing. But if you eat the free food and you miss the sign, you're doing damage to yourself. If you eat the free food and you miss the sign, you're doing damage to themselves. They got the free bread 
but they didn't, they missed the sign. You, you know what Jesus means by signs? A sign here? A sign is like something that points you to someplace else, you know? So, like, you, you want to go to Disneyland, and you're driving to Disneyland, and you see a sign that says Disneyland, you know, turn right for Disneyland. And you get out, and if you stay there at the sign and celebrate the sign, you're missing the point. The point of the sign is to get you to Disneyland, not to celebrate the sign. And what the people have done is they've gotten the free bread, they've enjoyed the free bread, and they're like the people who hang out for a week camped out next to the Disneyland sign. They have not yet moved on to what the sign means. They missed the sign. They got the free bread, but they missed the sign. All right, so what is the sign? Well, um, you know what the sign is. It's Jesus. But, but these people are like, um, I just heard uh, uh, Jim Carrey tell this story. So I'm going to make this, let's make this about church and, and Jesus stuff, right? So Jim Carrey tells the story of, so Jim Carrey, the comedian, Jim Carrey grew up in Canada in a fairly serious Roman Catholic family. And he tells this story about when he was in second grade. And uh, his school teacher, the nun, said to the class, if you want anything, you pray and you ask God for it, and he gives it to you. And Jim Carrey thought, okay, cool, I want a bike. Jim Carrey tells the story. I want a bike. So he said, I went home and I prayed, God, give me a bike. And two weeks later, he gets home from school, and there's a bike sitting in the living room, like a brand new bike. And he says to his mom, what is this? And she said, that's your new bike. And he said, why do I get a new bike? And she's like, you want a raffle? And he said, I didn't enter a raffle. He finds out later that he has a buddy who was at a department store where there was a raffle for a free bike. His buddy entered, and just to, as a favor to Jim, also entered Jim Carrey's name in it, and he got a free bike. Jim Carrey is not a Christian. Jim Carrey will say, I don't believe in the religion I was brought up in. I don't believe in Christianity. I don't, I don't pray to Jesus. What happened? Like he, he got the free bike, but he missed the sign. He got the free bike, but he missed the part about there's this loving, omnipotent bike giver who gives us bikes so that we know he's omnipotent and loves us. It's exactly what the people have done here. They've got the free bread, but they missed out that there's the great, loving, omnipotent bread maker who longs to give us bread so that A, we won't be hungry or we'll be able to have a bike to ride around, but most importantly, so that we would give praise and worship to the great bread giver who loves us. They missed the sign. And so what do they do? They ask for another sign. Down in verse 30, what sign do you do that we may see him? So he tells them, you missed the sign. You got the bread, but you missed the sign. And so they say, okay, so well then give us a sign. Like, get us back on track. Give us another sign. And they say this real interesting phrase here. Like, give us a sign. They say, then verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're like, here's what, the, here's what they're like. It's cool about the bread that you gave us. It's our bad that we missed the point of that. Give us another sign so that we can know you're for real. And like, if you're on the bread theme here, do you remember how Moses gave us bread from heaven? Do that. Now, what do they want? I mean, they want more bread probably, but what do they want? Mainly what they want is this. And you kind of have to know the story of the Gospels to get this. What they want is for Jesus, like 
maybe this guy's the new Moses. If this guy has the power to call down bread from heaven, we'll know he's the new Moses. Why do they want the new Moses? Because the old Moses defeated the pagan Egyptians, drowned them all in the Red Sea, and liberated Israel to be a new nation. And what they're hoping is, is if this guy can really call bread down from heaven, that it's actually a sign that he's the new Moses and he can beat the new Egyptians, the Romans, destroy them and lead us to be a new free sovereign nation, Israel. What do they want? They want Jesus to do a sign that proves that he can serve their needs. They want Jesus to meet you know, they get the part that Jesus is powerful. They get that part. Prove it to us because what we really need is this political military agenda that we want you to accomplish. This psychological thing that we want you to solve. They come to Jesus because they have social needs, cultural needs, empty belly needs, military needs, political needs. Jesus, come and meet our needs. So they come to Jesus because they have needs that they want to get met. Second question, though, is why should they have come to Jesus? It's a separate question. Jesus has a different reason for them. And, but by the way, Jesus is totally interested in meeting all those other needs. Like Jesus had, remember in Mark 6, verse 43, Jesus has compassion on them. That's why he feeds them. He's not always walking around trying to make deep theological points. He's trying to make deep theological points, but he's trying to join those deep theological points to the actual needs that we have. Empty bellies getting filled. Now look at me. I'm the bread maker. Kid needs a bike. I want you to have a bike. Now look at me. I'm the bike giver. That's what he wants us to do. We should follow Jesus. They should have followed Jesus because God wants a relationship with them. It's not just that God wants to meet their physical needs, but God wants them. He wants children. Look at verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Do you see what he's saying? They say, maybe this dude is the new Moses. Like, do a sign to prove to us that you're the new Moses. And Jesus says, it actually wasn't Moses who gave you the bread. It was God who gave you the bread. Forget Moses. Let's think about God. God wants a relationship with you. Bread is a sign that there's a holy, omnipotent, loving bread giver. Forget the bread for a minute. Forget Rome for a minute. Forget your broken marriage for a minute. Forget your health needs just for a minute. Not, because, not, not, not that they're not important. Jesus wants to meet them. But what he wants most of all, he, he wants more than he wants you to be healthy, more than he wants you to have a good marriage, more than he wants your kids to obey you, more than he wants you to get that promotion, more than he wants you to get a new bike, more than he wants you to eat bread, is he wants you. That's what he wants. And if we miss the sign, we're missing the whole point. Now, th this is a quote I love, and some of you have heard me do this before. I apologize. I'm going to pull this one out every six months. So just be prepared to hear this. There's this great, by, there's this great quote by C.S. Lewis in God and the Dock, and it has to do not with the breaking of the bread, but it has to do with the water being turned into wine. And it's very, very apropos to this, so I'm going to read this to you right now. Lewis says this, God creates the vine and teaches it to draw up water by its roots. And with the aid of the sun, to turn that water into a juice which will ferment and take on certain qualities. See what he's saying? Like, how does wine get made? Like, God invented this plant which sticks these things down in the ground and sucks up water, pushes the water up through the plant into these little spherical sweet balls, 
fills them full of the water that's turning into juice, which when crushed and given a certain amount of time in a certain you know, chemical environment, will ferment into wine. It's God who does. He's God invented all of that. Thus, every year from Noah's time till ours, God turns water into wine. He takes the rain, comes down, goes into the ground, sucked up to the vine, turns into wine. Who, who, who makes wine? God makes wine. That's his point. That we fail to see. We fail to see that it's God who makes wine. Either like the pagans, we refer the process to some finite spirit like Bacchus or Dionysus, or else like the moderns, this is most of us, we attribute real and ultimate causality to the chemical and other material phenomena which are all that our senses can discover in it. We can describe how water turns into wine in a chemical or biological fashion. And because we can, we give that the ultimate causality. What turns water into wine? Chemistry. As though chemistry is this like being floating around doing chemistry things. And what Lewis is saying is it's not. It's not. Here's what he says. But when Christ at Cana snaps his finger and turns water into wine, the mask is off. And now you know who's been doing it all along. It's God who turns water into wine. Sometimes he likes to take years. Somebody plants a vineyard, and the vines have to mature, and then the grapes have to grow, and then they get crushed by people whose hearts are beating because God is commanding their hearts to beat. And then the wine gets put into casks, and it ages, and then people drink it, and it's delicious. And it's God who does all of that. And lest we forget, Jesus comes along in Cana and says, that water's into wine. And now you know how it works all the time. He can either do it over the course of years, biologically, or he can do it by snapping his fingers, by fiat. But either way, it's God who does it. Here's what Lewis says about all of this. Here's the payout. The miracle has only half its effect if it only convinces us that Christ is God. But it will have its full effect if whenever we see a vineyard, or drink a glass of wine, we remember that here works the one who sat at the wedding party in Cana. That's the point of the, of the feeding of the 5,000. That's the point that Jesus wanted Jim Carrey to get when he gave him, the, gave him the bike. That I am now riding a bike given me by the person who invented bicycling. By the person who invented balance. I'm now drinking a glass of wine made by the one who, for time immemorial, has turned water into wine. If the gifts that God gives us, every single thing, every single thing in the world is quasi-sacramental. Your relationship with your friends and with your family, your work, the money that you make, the hobbies that you have, the job that you have, it is all a pointer to the job giver, to the friend giver, to the one who invented wine, to the one who invented sex, to the one who invented work, to the one who invented leisure. All of it should be pointing us back to him. And if it doesn't, we've missed the sign. So first of all, first of all, God wants a relationship with us because bread is a sign that there's a holy, omnipotent, loving bread giver. But it's deeper than that here. And this is the part where I got really confusing. Some of you are like, this whole thing's been confusing. In fact, three years ago I met you and every sermon you've preached has been confusing. This one's especially confusing. Here's the part where it gets confusing. Bread isn't just a sign that God is the great bread giver. It's not just a sign that God gives us bread. In this text, hold on. Bread is also a sign that God gives us Jesus. Bre and now, I want you to start smelling Holy Communion. Bread is a sign that God also gives us Jesus. What do I mean? Watch the progression here. 
Look at verse 27. Jesus says this, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, one of Jesus' favorite names for himself, which the Son of Man will give to you. Okay, who is giving the bread of life there? Jesus is. The Son of Man is, right? Now, hold on to that. Duck down to verses 33. Jesus says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 36, 35, I am the bread of life. So which is it? In verse 27, Jesus gives us the bread of life. But in verse 33 and 35, Jesus is the bread of life. Which one is it? Here's the point. Is that when God gives us bread, he actually wants to give us Jesus. He wants us to see and experience Jesus. Like, you have to eat bread to live, right? I mean, I guess there's other things you can eat. But bread is a handy one. Sometimes people ask the question, side note, people ask the question, why like water and bread and wine? Well, these are three things that people have universally been using, eating, since humanity began. Bread is so normal. It's so simple. It's so ubiquitous. Jesus wants us to turn it to himself. He wants to use ordinary means to turn it to himself. Jesus wants us to, Jesus wants to be the bread of life. Jesus wants to give us bread, I mean real bread, and when we get that bread to know that there's actually a deeper capital B bread that will actually satisfy the hunger that we think that we have, that we think that lowercase b bread is going to meet, but actually only uppercase b bread can. Only Jesus, we think that bread, here's what I'm trying to say, we think that bread can give us life. Only Jesus can really give us life. You can actually, you can exist without bread. I mean, you might die, but if you're in Christ, you'll never die. It's better to have Jesus and no bread, than to have a full stomach of bread and no Jesus. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We're all looking for this, though. We all want life. We all want to be alive. We want to, we want to be experiencing fullness of life. And this, this text insists that Jesus is that. Jesus. So, so let me ask you this. What is it that you have to have for life? What is it that if you don't have, you don't want to be alive? What is it that you, if you think... If I can get that, my existence will be solid. Whatever that is, that's your God, right? So in Genesis chapter 30, Rachel says to Jacob, Rachel wants kids, she says to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. What's she saying? She's saying, my life isn't worth living unless I have kids. Whatever it is about your life that it's not worth living if I don't get X, that's your God. Maybe it is kids. Like, and I totally get this too. Angel and I struggled to have kids for a long time. And I totally get this feeling of like desperation. Like, God, do something. We will not be complete unless we have kids. What are we saying? No, I shouldn't put this on Angel. What am I saying? I'm saying like if I don't have kids, there's something missing in me. What I'm saying is, is that having kids is my God. If I, if I don't get that promotion and that other guy gets that promotion, I don't even want to be around that place anymore. What are you saying? That that promotion is God. That promotion is the thing that will give me meaning and purpose. Maybe it's I need people like, maybe it's I need a significant other. Maybe it's whatever, I need a certain amount of money or uh, whatever. Maybe it's I just, I want my kids to turn out right. If, I, if my kids don't turn out right, I don't even want to live. Maybe that's it. Whatever it is that you say, I need that for life, that is your God. And here's what we Christians do. 
We all have those things that we say, my life will only have meaning and purpose if I have that thing. And then we co-opt Jesus to say, like, God, will you please give me this thing? Because if I don't get it, I'm going to die. And what we're saying is, is like, Jesus, I know you're powerful, but I need you to help me serve this other higher God that's more important than you. And what Jesus is doing here is saying to the people, no, you think that you won't, that your existence won't have any meaning unless Rome is gone. And I'm talking, forget Rome. What you need is me. Like, you want me to give you bread from heaven because you think I can help you get to God, Rome being gone. And what I'm telling you is you've got to turn that around. That whatever gift you get, whether Rome is here or not here, whether I give you bread from heaven or you just eat norm, normal, ordinary bread and fish, whether you have money or you don't have money, whether Jim Carrey gets the bike or doesn't get the bike, the main thing is that I want you to know that I am the great gift giver and I want you to worship and follow me because all those other things come and go. Some of you have good kids, some of you have bad kids. Some of you have good money, some of you have bad money. Some of you get the promotion, some of you don't get the promotion. Some of you have had horrible childhoods, some of you had blissful childhoods. Wherever you are at though, Jesus is life. Some of you are, 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 are very down about things that have happened in your past. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Some of you grew up with empty bellies and what you needed was bread. Some of you grew up and some of you have been married and been in horribly broken situations and you needed fixed relationships. But you, you know what you needed more than those? And the craving that you had in each one of those, whether it was the craving of an empty stomach or the craving of the loneliness when you're not, the relationship that, you, that is most important to you is broken, or the craving of the emptiness when the people around you are making more money and your pay level is staying the same, or the craving, craving of the emptiness when everybody's posting about how wonderful their kids are on Facebook and you know that your kids are rotten. All those cravings are pointing you towards the capital B bread that wants to fill you up, the bread Jesus. That's why we should go to Jesus, because he's life. Not because he's going to get us more bread or more get rid of Rome or whatever. Third, last one, we'll make this fast. How can we follow Jesus? How can... We should follow Jesus because he's the bread of, the life. bread of life. How do we do it? Really simply, I'm going to make this real simple. It's in the text. Verse 28. Let me flip back here. Verse 28, Jesus says, you should do the works of God. And uh, they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? How do we do these works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him and we have sent. This is the work of God that you believe in Jesus. Now, um, Nerd thing, real quick here. What does work of God mean? What does work of God mean? There's two options here, and the commentators are divided on what it means. It can, this is a grammatical thing, okay? It's real boring stuff, I know. Work of God can either be the works that God wants you to do. You know, like, she's doing the real work of God. Like, she's working for God. Or work of God can be the work that God is doing. Like, the heavens are the handiwork of God. Do you know what I'm saying? It can, be one, it can be either one of those. It can be the works that we're doing that like match up with what God's will for us is, or it can be the works that God himself is doing. And actually, theologically, it doesn't really matter here because either one works. God wants us to have faith in Jesus, and that's his work when he creates faith in us. It is the work of God to believe in Jesus. But that's how we connect to this. Let me give you a note. Some, some of you are like, well, okay, so I believe in Jesus, but I still struggle with all that other, wanting other stuff to be God. How does faith in, my faith in Jesus help me out? So let, let me help you out real quick here. Faith in Jesus is not like an assent that he's God. 
It's more of like giving up your old way of being, like giving up your, I need a bike or I'll die. Or I need kids or I'll die. Or I got to get more money or I'll die. Or if people don't, if I don't get more friends, I'm going to die. Or if I don't get a significant other, I'm going to, to give up that way of being human and trust Jesus for his way of being human. Let me give you this really cool example I found. So some of you know who Josephus is, great Jewish historian. He wrote in Greek, so there's a, you know, he used the Greek language. Josephus is telling this story. Josephus was a general in the, in the Roman army. And he found out that this Jewish guy was trying to kill him. So he confronts this Jewish guy, because the Jewish guy was on the side of the rebels. He confronts this Jewish guy, and he says to this Jewish guy, like, why are you trying to kill me? And, and this is what Josephus says. This guy's name is Joshua. He says, I told Joshua that I was not ignorant of the plot which he had contrived against me. I would nevertheless pardon his actions if he would show repentance and prove his loyalty to me. And all this he promised to do. What's Josephus saying? He's saying, I told this rebel, I was like, you know what? I can get you out of get, getting killed for trying to kill somebody for the, who works for the Romans. But what I need for you to do is two things. Repent. In other words, stop trying to kill me. Stop trying to rebel against Rome. And B, Prove your loyalty to me. Now, what does he mean by prove your loyalty? Actually, in the Greek that Josephus writes in, you know what the phrase he uses? It's actually literally, believe in me. This phrase here that Josephus uses, if you would repent and believe in me, is the exact same phrase that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 1 when he says, the kingdom of God is in heaven, repent and believe. What's Josephus saying? Josephus is not saying, I need you to have a spiritual experience where you ask me into your heart and you really, really believe that I'm powerful enough to save you. No, he's just, what's he saying? Stop rebelling against Rome and like work for me. Just come with me. That's all he's saying. And when Jesus says the work of God is that you believe in the one whom he sent, that's all he's saying. Like give up your old notion that if my stomach was full, I could be happy. If my marriage was good, I could be happy. If my kids were obey, if I had more money, I'd be happy. Give up that way of being human and trust Jesus for his way of being human. In other words, eat the bread of life. Worship Jesus alone. This is going to have some stuff to do with communion here in a couple weeks. It's going to have to st stuff to do with God's sovereignty that we'll talk about next week. But the main thing I want us to leave with this is, is that Jesus is life. Jesus wants to give us life. He doesn't want us to look for life in any, other, any of his gifts, but he wants us to use his gifts to point us to go and worship him, the true giver, the true bread of life. Okay, stand with me and let's pray, then we'll have communion. Let's pray. Father, we praise and we thank you for being um, uh, the God who gives gifts, for the God who gives us bicycles and uh, cars and uh, good wine and good relationships and uh, friends and church and, and all the gifts that you've given us, good weather and sports and whatnot. Father, help us not to turn those things into God. Help us not to worship these things. Help us not to worship bread or bikes. But help us to worship you, the great bread giver, the great bike maker and the great bike giver. Lord, in your mercy. Father, thank you so much. We praise and thank you and worship you for sending your son Jesus to become our bread, for allowing us to be united with him, to, to eat him, to take him into ourselves, to be swallowed up by him to be united to him in baptism, to be united to him in faith so that we can be a part of this great mission of yours to win the world back for yourself, to fill the world with your bread. Father, help us to uh, be faithful to this mission. Forgive us when we're not. Forgive us when we focus on ourselves and 
Uh, forgive us for not trusting You, for, for wanting to be humans our way and not wanting to be humans Your way. We praise You for Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross and the empty tomb. Lord, in Your mercy. Father, we also praise and thank You for um, uh, Brian and Jessica who were married here yesterday. And we pray that You would uh, bless their marriage and bless them as they uh, uh, bring their families together. And may they, as they practice in the name of Your Son, Jesus, real gospel-centered, relational self-sacrifice. May they come not just to have a, a good, healthy, satisfying marriage, but may they come to experience who You are. The reality of the reconciling, self-sacrificing, crucified God by loving each other and by teaching their kids to love each other. And help us all, Lord, in our marriages and in our friendships and in our families, help us all to come to experience this gospel reconciliation power. Lord, in Your mercy. We come and pray these things to You, Father, because You are the one true God. You are the one who gives all gifts. And we come into Your throne room boldly as Your children because Your Son, Jesus, willingly loved and gave Himself up for us to unite us to Himself so that we can come in here as Your daughters and sons and ask, act for, ask for whatever we want, knowing, knowing with boldness and confidence that You and Your fatherly love will give us what You want us to have. And so we pray these things in the name of our brother Jesus. Amen. Confess, uh, let's confess our faith together with the words of the Apostles' Creed. You can find this in your bulletin. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated. i yeah. 
satisfy and make me whole. Lord, may thy body and thy blood be for my soul the highest good. Thy heart is filled with fervent journey that sinners may salvation see. sinner come to thee. Lord, may thy body and thy blood be for my soul the highest good. Onwardly, though I am a Savior, because I am a sinful heart, yet i 
Please stand. And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. If St. Paul is correct, we know Jesus in Holy Spirit-powered community. So, talk with each other, build relationship, look for the face of Jesus. Go in peace.